you would again, let's take out our Bibles and let's turn to Genesis chapter 24. And we will today be looking at the whole chapter. So that's 67 verses. It's a lot. Um, But we will read it together, and then uh, we will work our way through it. So Genesis chapter 24. um, This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Uh, Pay careful attention to the reading of it. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you will not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred, and take a wife from my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must... Not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels, departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city of the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said... O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today, and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to drink water. Let the young women to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have anointed for your servant, appointed to your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, give me a little drink, water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her, uh, upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camel also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her water into the trough and ran again to, to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels. 
and said, Please tell me, whose daughter are you? Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder, and the room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord, and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about, about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have, I have to say. He said, Speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master, who, when she was old, and to him he was given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house, into my clan, and take a wife from my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the brace on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for, my, for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you good, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard these words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brothers and to her mother costly ornaments. And he said to the men who were with him, Eat 
uh, and he and the men who were with who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, "Send me away to my master." Her brother and her mother said, "Let the young woman remain with us a little while, at least ten days. After that, she may go." But he said to them, "Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master." They said, "Let us call the young woman and ask her." And they called Rebecca and said to her, "Will you go with the man?" She said. I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant with his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of tens of thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Laharoi and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel, and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant, of Isaac, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Thus far, the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. You may be seated. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your providence in it. We ask, O God, that you would help us to learn and understand what is happening here. Help us to grow in our love for our Savior Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. This is a, a long section of scripture. Uh, actually, it's one of the longest uh, stories just sort of told all at once in, in the scriptures. Um, it tells the story of the search for Isaac's bride. Now, on the surface, uh, this is a romantic tale of bringing these two together, Isaac and Rebekah. But more deeply, it's a theological reflection on divine providence. God is sovereign over all things, even the most minutest of details. And here, we begin to see this narrative shift away from Abraham and toward Isaac. Now, although Abraham commissions his servant to seek out a wife for his son Isaac, the story is not really about Isaac. The focus is actually on Rebekah. The promised woman chosen by God himself who exercises tremendous faith and trust in the Lord, God who is cultivating his plan of salvation. Rebecca's faith is seen in her desire to follow the servant of Abraham back to Canaan in response to what she saw and heard. Now the scene also wrestles with the interplay between divine initiative and human responsibility. The classic conundrum of human experience. How can God 
perfectly coordinate all the circumstances and all the events of life, and yet at the same time men are to exercise their faith in action. God had decreed by the counsel of his own will that the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, would, would be the mother of Israel and the grandmother of the twelve nations. Yet she trusted by faith in the God of Abraham. This too required a faithful servant fulfilling his, his oath and his vow to Abraham. A family willing to let her go along with the woman who by faith trusted in God's promises and God's servant who had come. These promises which had been made to Abraham and to his offspring, that they would be a nation, that they would have many offspring, as many as the stars in the sky and the sand of the seashore, that that this family would be a blessing to all the nations. These serves as the, the background themes of this text. But in order for these promises to move forward, a wife is necessary, and so... We have providences which come. Many events must must come together in order for that event to take place. Which is to speak to the larger themes of Scripture, beginning with the promise of the seed of the woman. Back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, you'll notice that we constantly are going back to that. The many providences of God uh, must come together as history moves forward untold coordinated events and circumstances which ultimately lead to the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine how many things had to happen and yet do happen. And so, demonstrated here is the interplay of God's promises and His providence, even within the context of human agency and responsibility. Viewed with this lens, what we're looking at is an amazing and miraculous story of God bringing together His chosen heir with the elect woman, Rebecca, The woman who was to replace Sarah as the mother of this burgeoning nation and quite literally the mother of Israel. And so we begin in verse 1. And we're reminded yet again of the advanced age of Abraham. We continually are told of his age, and we know Abraham is going to be leaving the scene. He's advanced in years. The Lord had blessed him in many things. Sarah now, of course, is gone, having died. And Abraham would not be around too much longer. And we see, in God's providence, the second generation needs to be secured. Isaac does not yet have a wife. The promise of God was through Isaac. These blessings which had been promised by God. And so again we see this seeming threat of God's providence against His promise. God had promised these things would come to pass, but providentially, there's no, there's no wife yet. And we'll, of course we'll see later, uh, Rebecca too will struggle with uh, infertil- infertility. She, she will be barren for a season. Again, there's that threat of, of providence. We read that Abraham made his servant take an oath, placing his hand on his thigh, and made him promise by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that he would not take a wife for his son from among the daughters of the Canaanites. 
Abraham here sets an example for his descendants that will be later codified in the Mosaic Law to not secure wives from the surrounding nations. And so the servant, understanding his mission though, then considers the possibility that he will go and find this chosen woman, but she will not be willing to come. Verse 5. Although God has chosen her, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow him back. And so he wonders, well, should I take Isaac along also? God's promise to Abraham would indicate the success of such a mission, but God's providence may hold something else. The woman and her family may not be willing to allow her to return with him. But there are two key important keys to Abraham's request. First of all, the woman was to come from the household of Abraham's father. And secondly, Isaac was not to go back to that place. This land the land they were in, the land of Canaan, this is the land that God had sworn to him. The family was not to go backwards, as it were. Isaac was to remain steadfast in awaiting his inheritance. And so from a human perspective, there's every reason to think this mission would not be successful without Isaac's presence. You understand why the servant would ask the question that he does. This mission that he's going on, this this uh, duty, this oath he's taken, this seems like on the certain like this is not going to work. How how am I supposed to find somebody? But Abraham comforts his servant that he will be free from the oath if the woman won't go with him or if he's not able to find her. God God is in control. Abraham is sure that God is sovereign over this. And so the servant submits to the oath. Now there are not many details given about the servant. In fact, it's all sort of blanked. Immediately you end up at the well, right? So he, take, he takes his journey. We read of the, of the master uh, sending him with ten camels and a variety of choice gifts and they end up at the city of Nahor. Now, of course, this would have been an impressive entourage. Ten camels. This spoke of the master's, of course, Abraham's wealth, his importance. And when the servant came into the city, he makes his camels to kneel down by the well of water outside the city. And he does so at evening. And what providence! This is the time that the women come out to draw water. And so the servant begins to pray. And he asks for guidance from the Lord. Look at verse 12. He says, O oh Lord God, of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. And then you see that he asks for, very specifically, I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the woman to whom I say, please let down your jar that I may drink, who will say, drink and I'll water your camels. Let her be the one you've appointed, anointed, appointed, sorry, for your servant Isaac. And so the servant is seeking the woman of God's choosing, and he, he needs a way to discern this. And so he prays to the Lord. He asks for an appropriate sign that would make his mission clear and advance the family that God intended to bless the earth with. You notice that before he had even finished his prayer, he, in fact, he's in the middle of praying, and these things begin to take place. Rebecca, the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah. Now, of course, that's mentioned if you, if you follow along with the genealogies. You see that this, this, in fact, is a family member of Abraham. Abraham's brother, in fact. It's her grand, uh, his granddaughter. 
she comes out with a jar of water. And then, of course, the reader is immediately alerted to her identity. Ah, this is the one. This is the one. And the text uh, describes her as very attractive in appearance and a maiden whom a man has not known. Now, giving such a description of her beauty, this is actually rather uncommon in Hebrew narrative. We're, we're just told this is the case. But her sexual history is actually important in light of the promise concerning Isaac's future lineage. This will, any children that they will bear will be his child. And so when Rebecca comes... She brings her jug, and the wise servant made his small request, please give me a little water from your jar. Now her response is exactly what he wanted in the desired sign. For she offers him a drink, and then offers to water his camels as well. And notice that she does so with great haste. It says that she quickly emptied her jar, and she ran to the well. Her performance is well beyond the servant's expectations. It says Rebecca is another Abraham. Remember when, when uh, the three visitors come to Abraham's uh, tent? The, you know, the Lord comes with the two angels. Remember how Abraham's running around serving them? Rebecca's a little bit like this. She's, she's practicing hospitality. She's delighting in hospitality. To a stranger and to a traveler. And so in this way, we begin to observe her character. God is exercising his divine providence with her. Now we read, too, the servant stood back in silence, gazing at the woman. I, I suppose, what else are you going to do when the Lord immediately answers your prayer? You're kind of like, wow, I kind of didn't expect that. You ever pray? And you ask the Lord, and then he answers your prayer, and you're like, what did you just do, Lord? You actually answered my prayer. Now he stands back amazed. The Lord has immediately answered his prayer. He he can't believe what's happened. And he wants to make sure, is this really true? Is this actually taking place? He doesn't want to influence things in any way. He patiently waits for his camels to finish drinking. But once this is done, he brings out gifts, gold, a gold ring, gold bracelets. He gives them to her. And then he asks in verse 12, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? Now the answer received is exactly what he was hoping for. Of course, as a reader, we already know who she is. Now he finds out of her identity. Indeed, this is a member of Abraham's extended family. This is a kinsman. And Rebecca again reveals her character by offering to make provision for the servant and for his camels. She says, we have plenty of straw and fodder and room to spend. We can feed your animals and we can take care of you tonight. You and and all of the men with you. So the man bows his head and worships the Lord. You notice that he doesn't really respond to her. He begins to worship the Lord again. It's clear that this event was from the hand of the Lord. He doesn't forget with all the excitement and all of the wonder that God is behind all of this. And so prayer actually frames the whole event. He begins with prayer and he ends with prayer. And so the servant uh, begins to pray. 
And it's here that he begins to reveal his mission. He says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. So if the Lord God has indeed shown his steadfast love, he's shown his love towards Abraham, God's covenant with Abraham is sure, and he has led his servant in the way he was to go. The Lord had guided the servant and led him to that very place, to that very time where his master's kinsman, this very woman that was chosen by God, would be. And so as all of these events unfold, Rebecca, we read, then ran and told her mother's household about all that had taken place. This then sets into motion the actions of her brother, Laban, who comes running out to the spring, and he sort of acts as a spokesman for the family. And we saw the gifts on his sister. He saw the ring, he saw the bracelets, he saw the gold. And he heard what had, had taken place. He said to the servant, Come, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Now, on the surface, it seems, maybe Laban is pretty generous. Oh, he seems like a pretty nice guy. He's inviting him in. But you notice the way it says, he first looked at what she had on, the bracelet, the gold. Now, maybe I'm not being fair to Laban, but we do know something about Laban's character later, don't we? In fact, it seems like his statement is lacking sincerity. We do know um, later in Genesis, the way he treats um, Jacob... We also see that he took notice of the fine gifts first. Rebecca's hospitality came from a sincere desire to serve a stranger. Laban seems to be looking for what might, he might be able to gain personally. The, this picture of Laban then is a foreshadowing of his dealings with his nephew, Jacob, later. So the servant came to the house, his, his camels were cared for, his feet were washed, food was set before him and all of his men, but he says, I will not eat until I have said what needs to be said. Now remember, he's under a vow, he's under an oath that he has given, he wants to fulfill his mission, namely to return with a wife for, Rebe- uh, for Isaac. And he was certain that the woman had now been identified. And so he recounts, uh, with some variation, the story which had taken place, the oath he had sworn. Now, re- repetition of this sort of standard feature in a lot of Near Eastern epic literature. He acknowledges his place as a, the servant of Abraham. He recounts the great blessing of his master. Um, he mentioned, and, and by the way, the mention of Abraham's name probably would give him some serious hearing. Like, oh, this is actually a family member. The servant's task was to find the woman that the Lord had chosen from the clan of Abraham's father. And so in retelling the story, he also acknowledges the possibility that the woman may not consent to go. And he recalls again Abraham's assurance that God would send his angel to prosper his way. If God has been with Abraham and blessed and cared for him, then surely the family of Rebekah can trust in the Lord as well. For God will honor her if she chooses to leave with the servant. Now his report again skips over anything of the journey there, but then he picks up again at the well and the events of the day. He recalls the offer of the drink, the watering of the camels. He, he recalls his prayer to the Lord, his worship of the Lord. 
Finally, after his protracted retelling of events, the servant makes his request. Look at verse 49. It says, Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. What he's asking is, look, I need you to act in good faith. If you're going to show love and faithfulness to Abraham, then please do it. If not, then could you just tell me so I can be on my way? The men needed to decide without delay so that the servant could act accordingly. Starting in verse 50, though, the servant receives the answer. And Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you good or bad. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go. Let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. So if God has caused this to come to pass, if God has brought all this together by His sovereign will, then what can man do? He can't speak anything bad or good about it. God's providence, in other words, cannot be overruled. God's providence cannot be judged by men. They see the body of evidence to be overwhelming. God had surely orchestrated these events to come to pass. And that being the case, Laban and his father Bethuel really have no choice in the matter. I guess she's got to go. And so the servant bows himself before the Lord, again worships the Lord, who is sovereignly ruling over all matters. He brings out more gifts. He brings out jewelry. He brings out garments to Rebekah and to uh, her mother, to her father and brother, and presents these gifts to them. And so they eat and drink that night, and it all seems well, right? She's going to go. And then they wake up the next day. The servant asks to take his leave. Of course, with the implication that Rebecca is coming with them. And to this, shockingly, her brother and her mother refuse. Verse 55. Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. And after that, she may go. Now, we might ask, what is the... What's the reason for the hesitation on the, on the family's part? They've already said, well, this is obviously from the Lord. There's, what, what, do we, what can we do? We can't stand in the way. And then they say, well, uh, let, her, let her stay for a little while. Now, perhaps the family saw the finality of the departure, and so they ask for a 10-day delay. This seems reasonable, right? If your child was going to leave, and you maybe you never see him, and you're like, can I have a little bit of time with them? You might ask that. It seems reasonable. But some have suggested that this is actually an idiom. This is where understanding idioms become helpful. Basically, what this idiom means is, let her wait a day or even a year or maybe never. (laughs) Remember, Jacob will be delayed by this same family for 20 years. I think they had an idea that maybe we're not letting her go. They're not asking for some time to say goodbye. I don't don't think that's what's happening here. I mean, I'm open to the fact that I I could be wrong about this. I don't think that's what's happening. I think what they're wanting to do is force a very, very, very long delay. Now, the servant does not wish to dawdle. He desires to fulfill his mission. He says, do not delay me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. And so there's now tension having been introduced here, right? It, it, up to this point, it seems like, wow, the Lord is 
you know, providentially brought all these things. Wow, this is all going to come together. This is wonderful. And now there's this anxiety. The servant is anxious to leave with his master's betrothed. But the, the family is unwilling to let her depart yet. And so they ask Rebecca herself. They call the young woman and ask her. Now, they're going to ask her. Uh, Laban's going to learn his lesson here and not ask in the future. <laughs> but recall again the, the servant's concern. Remember, he said, what if she won't come? What if she won't consent to return? And so here it is. Here's the moment of truth, right? Will she come? Will she go with this strange man from this strange place to go marry some other strange man that she doesn't know? The family doesn't want her to go. And so they ask her, will you go with this man? Now, look at, look at this. In, in Hebrew, it's an, it's an imperfect form. This is actually expressing her deep desire. It's like saying, I want to go. It is not simply the fact that Rebecca was willing to go. She's not saying, okay, sure, I'll, I guess I'll go. That's not what she's saying. She's saying, it is my deep desire to go. Rebecca, like Abraham before her, is walking by faith, not by sight. Laban and, and, um, and their mother wanted, wanted to delay matters, perhaps indefinitely delay matters. Maybe they were hoping to extract more from Abraham. I mean, remember, he came with all these gifts. They thought, you know, it, this is a nice little gravy train we can get going here. We keep her around. Maybe he'll come back with more gifts. Yeah, sure, go back, get some more gifts, come back. Maybe we'll let her go. That, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. But it, Rebecca has a better sense of the situation. God was calling her out of this pagan household and into the covenant household of God. She was being, she is among the elect. And so she wanted to go. The blessings. Well, the family's response is this. Uh, it's actually a blessing. It's really interesting. She says, our, our sister, may you become thousands of tens of thousands and may your offspring possess the gates of those who hate him. That's language you might, might be familiar with because it, it actually just came up a few weeks ago. This recalls the promises made to Abraham and to Sarah. Indeed, uh, from her will come multitudes of people, tens and tens of thousands, who will be victorious over their enemies. The church of Jesus Christ, the, the, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. And Rebecca was to be the chosen instrument to bring about the promises made to Abraham and to his descendants. And so Rebecca and her young women rode on the camels and followed the man, that is, Abraham's servant. And Isaac, we read, had returned from Beer Laharoi. Now, this is the place that the well, which means the well of the living one who sees, this was the, the place that was named by Hagar in her providential encounter with the Lord. The well of the living one who sees. So Isaac had gone out, he'd gone out to meditate in the field, to worship the Lord in the evening, and as he's there, he, he looks up and behold, he sees camels coming from afar. And Rebecca, as she's riding on her camel, she looks up and she sees Isaac. 
And so she dismounts from her camel and she asks the servant, Who is that man in the distance that's coming to us? And the servant answers, It is my master. And so we read that she covered herself with her veil. Now the reason that she does this, this was actually to indicate to Isaac that she was the expected bride. Because um, veils are not customarily worn by Israelite women. And so she's indicating to Isaac, I'm the woman that you're waiting for. The servant then recounts all that had taken place. Um, Then Isaac, it says, took Rebekah into Sarah's tent and she became his wife. So she is now the new matriarch. She she has taken the place of Sarah. She is following after Sarah in the history of redemption. And the author notes, too, that he loved her and was comforted after his mother's death. Now, the mention of love is not often found in Hebrew stories, but here there's a tenderness to the relationship, at least early on. Her presence, too, comforted him after the loss of his mother. And so we have a story which opens with one of Abraham's final actions, and it ends with the remembrance of Sarah. Isaac was now on his own, but he was no longer alone. In the search is now complete hope for the next generation seems to be secured. God is sovereign over all these matters. The story of Rebecca and Isaac is on one level an epic love story. There's many twists and turns in it. There's uncertainty. There's providence and promise. The woman promised uh, heir was to, the promised heir was to marry is identified. She is now brought home. But it's also the story of God's providence and a particular picture of God's electing purposes for the bride of Christ, the church. Many details are brought together in order for the servant of Abraham to find and identify the chosen bride that God had ordained for Isaac. His prayer to the Lord for leading and his praise to the Lord when she is found shows his personal faith in the God of Abraham. The servant was a believer also. God accomplishes his will through both ordinary and extraordinary means. His purposes come to pass through a series of providential acts and events. And the scene is just one of the countless actions and events which necessarily needed to take place to bring about the promised one, the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. That is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, even as God superintends all that takes place, ruling and overruling, we see also love between Isaac and his bride, Rebekah. We see her character and her faith in the Lord. Apart from simply being another arranged marriage, even as it's arranged by the Lord himself, the new patriarch and matriarch of Israel had true and abiding love toward one another, even as we will see later that they will be very dysfunctional, particularly when the twins come. One of the biggest themes here, along with God's providence, is faith. Like Abraham, Rebekah exercises a strong faith. She heard this stranger with his gifts relate this amazing story, which indicates that she was the one that God had chosen to marry a strange man in a strange and faraway place. But she believed God. And she exercised faith by decisively leaving her family and going to marry Isaac. Like Abraham, 
Aunt Rebecca, the Christian, exercises faith as the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. We are called to trust God. We are called to take Him at His word. It is not that we don't, don't have evidence, right? We have evidence. But in Rebecca's case, there was evidence provided to her. Yet, yet she didn't know. She didn't know other than what the Lord told, him, told her. In the end, we believe the truth before us, not because of some mountain of evidence, but because of the God who says these things are so. We believe God. And we are rewarded, as Rebecca is, for diligently seeking Him. This faith, by God's providence, is a gift from the hand of God. We're also reminded again to be steadfast in our faith, trusting in God who is over all things, knowing that God's plan to rescue sinners has always been on course. Even when things seemed uncertain, there was surety that God was rescuing sinners. Ultimately, He does so through the blood of Jesus, doesn't He? And so as you struggle under the miseries of this life, as you suffer, as you experience heartache, beloved, be encouraged because the Lord is in control of all things. And so you can rest in His promises, knowing that He has determined not only the beginning and the end, but He overrules even the middle. In addition, we trust in our Savior. Our trust in our Savior can be increased as we're comforted in knowing that He is who the Word says He is. Christ came to redeem sinners like you and me. He has come to rescue His chosen people. Beloved Christian, rest in your Savior. Rest in the Redeemer who has blessed you with every spiritual blessing from the heavenly places. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you and are encouraged by your word. This is a wonderful story that we read of Isaac and Rebecca, but even more so we are encouraged seeing your hand, your hand of providence over all of these events. That the that this, this woman was among the elect from the beginning of time. And that you went, you sent your servant to rescue her out of paganism and bring her into the covenant family, that she may be um, the mother of this nation, as it were. We're thankful for your, your hand of providence. We're thankful for your fulfilling of all your promises. Help us, O oh God, to trust your word, to take you at your word, to believe you in all that you say. Help us also to be grateful. Grateful that you orchestrated all of these events for the coming of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. With thankful hearts. Amen.